Welcome to Modern Career. I'm your host, Mary Humiston. You may be thinking about changing, advancing, or even reinventing your career. We want to help you do that and live your full potential. In each episode, I cover work and career topics, leveraging my 30 plus years of global HR leadership and through interviews with other career experts and professionals from around the world. Subscribe today and visit modern-career.com for blog posts, career stories, career coaching and workshops, and more. Let's jump into our next episode. Welcome to Leadership Success in Challenging Environments. Our guest today is Patrick Nicolier. After graduating in international relations from Geneva's Graduate Institute of International Development, Patrick pursued a career in human resources in a range of diverse sectors, including health, finance, and nanotechnology. He is currently the Chief Human Resources Officer at the Global Fund, who invests $4 billion a year to find solutions to defeat some of our most pressing global health issues. Patrick is based in Geneva, Switzerland. Welcome, Patrick, and thanks so much for joining us. Thank you for having me, Mary. It's great to see you again, and I would love it if you maybe would share a little bit about the Global Fund for us. Some people may be very familiar, but others may not. And tell us, you know, what's been the focus pre-COVID and also since, because I imagine certainly the global pandemic has had an enormous impact in terms of what you do as well. Yeah, thank you very much, Mary. Indeed, I mean, the Global Fund is an international organization which is not as well known as other organizations similar to ours, such as the WHO. So the Global Fund is a partnership which was designed to accelerate the end of AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria epidemics. It mobilizes and invests more than $4 billion a year to support programs which are run by local experts in more than 100 countries. And in the partnership, we have governments, we have the civil society, we have technical agencies, we've got the private sector, and we also have people who are affected by the diseases. And we are basically trying to break the challenges of the barriers to be able to treat those people who have those diseases and eradicate the three epidemics. And just to give you an idea, since the creation of the Global Fund in 2002 by Kofi Annan, the Global Fund has dispersed more than $45 billion in fight of against HIV, TB, and malaria. So in terms of impact, because people are, you know, we're, we talk a lot about money, but what is the impact? So the Global Fund has saved 38 million lives since 2002, including 6 million in 2019 alone, which represents a 20% increase in the number of lives saved compared to the previous year. So that is the reason why we come to work every morning, it's to be able to defeat those three diseases. Now, the COVID-19 pandemic obviously has had a devastating impact on the fight against HIV, TB, and malaria. And it really threatens to reverse decades of progress. I mean, just as of today, you know, while we're talking about people being vaccinated in developed countries, we have to remember that 99% 
of people who are unvaccinated are in developing countries. So the potential impact of COVID on HIV, TB and, and malaria is great. So the Global Fund is also playing a critical role in the global response to COVID-19 in the poorest and most vulnerable countries. We are a founding partner of what we called ACT Accelerator, which is the world's largest coalition to develop and equitably distribute COVID-19 protective equipment, tests, treatments, and vaccines. And just to give you an idea, as of June 30th of this year, the Global Fund had awarded a little bit over $1 billion of dollars to 105 countries to support their responses to COVID-19. And this is to fight COVID-19, you know, protect frontline health workers, reinforce systems for health, mitigate the impact on HIV, TB, and malaria programs. And we are not done. As you know, I mean, the COVID-19 is, is still continue to spread. We've got new variants and, you know, we feel privileged to have received an additional sum of money of 3.5 billion by multiple donors, but mostly by the U.S., in order to continue the fight against C19RM because we know how disruptive it is to our core mission of ending HIV, TB, and malaria. Thank you for sharing that with us. That was what you're doing is so amazing, so needed. And I'd love to hear your thoughts on leadership within that type of, you know, an environment. I mean, the model you talked about too, where it's government and civil and private and those who are affected by diseases. And I don't know how common that is in, you know, the solution set of what you do, but I imagine that's quite a bit of diversity and quite a bit of challenge to affect solutions together, even though they're probably amazing solutions in the end. But tell us about, so you've been in times of change. You're always in times of crisis with what you're dealing with and all this other complexity. What is that like? And what have you seen about leadership? That was a big question. No, it's, it's a big question. It is a great question. I think to respond to your question from a leadership perspective within the organization, I think what we have seen, like in many other organizations, is leadership has not only come together, the level of collaboration among especially the C-suite, from our perspective, has increased drastically. But we have also seen a closeness between the leadership of the organization and its staff. And, you know, unlike many other organizations which have gone through a period of unemployment and, you know, the activities have slowed down, on our end, it has been the exact opposite. I mean, we are ramping up because we're in global health. And I think one of the key traits that I've seen really emerge in terms of leadership is that level of vulnerability of the leadership and an increased level of communication towards staff. Almost like at the very beginning of the crisis, we did not know what was COVID and how it was going to hit us. And it somehow helped the leadership get to the same level as staff and to say, we are one, we are no different. We are going through the same difficulties, anxieties, but we're going to try to find the solutions together. So I found that ability to come together, to increase the communication and that level of care to be key emerging topics that have come up in terms of leadership. Mm, I love that. And 
did everybody sort of step up or did you find it sort of differentiated leaders who could be more vulnerable and make those quicker decisions and and really, really step up their communication in the time of complexity and change and crisis? I think when you go through very challenging time, you obviously have different personalities and different people with different leadership characteristics that react in different ways. So I cannot say that we've seen everyone, you know, step up and being able to have a level of resilience and drive all across. However, we've seen pockets of the organizations. First, we've seen the C-suite and the management executive committee really coming together and really stepping up nicely. And I think just treating one another more humanly. So I think that notion of we are in roles and we have to play a certain role because we're in the workplace and that kind of, you know, started to blend with, well, we are all humans and we all have our anxieties and our fears. And we also have to acknowledge those not only for ourselves, but staff, which is also anxious can also relate to some of our anxieties. And we need to have that level of openness, vulnerability, and transparency towards them. And then it's a question of personalities within the organization. You've got some people who are more willing to be vulnerable. But I think that what it tells us from an emerging leadership perspective, it means that vulnerability is one of the key components to really be able to relate to others, to relate to staff, and to bring the workforce with you. I think some of the organizations that I've witnessed maybe not being able to kind of turn a corner and not being able to take advantage of challenging times is when you have leadership which feels that they know it all and they've got the response. And I think there is a very nice, fine balance to strike in terms of keep your drive for results and giving a sense of direction and supporting your staff to know that we are here for them. And at the same time, acknowledging that we do not know everything ourselves and that some of the solutions during those challenging times are going to be found together. And I think one example of that is it happened that as the COVID-19 crisis hit, we had just started a leadership journey with a program that we called Elevate. And the whole notion of Elevate was to talk about adaptive leadership, about trying to problem solve, not only in terms of finding direct solution to technical problems, but really to find how each leader in the organization has to adapt based on the complexity of the situation that emerge, you know, when we do have a, an outbreak of a, one of those three diseases, for example, in a country, how do you respond quickly? You need to be able to be agile. And it's not only or always technical solutions which will help. And that program was really trying to identify some of the tensions that we had in the organization between well-being and performance, for example, or you know, between being innovative and at the same time maintaining a certain number of compliance standards because of the type of organization with we are in terms of international organization settings and assurance frameworks to be provided to the countries which give us money. And that program somehow helped us define some of the solutions and identify those emerging leadership practices. And when we surveyed staff, two-thirds of staff said we have seen as part of those challenging times and as part of the first and second wave of COVID, 
positive emerging leadership practices. And those were around people coming together. They were about increased communication, closeness of leadership towards the, the staff, that sense of vulnerability, while the one-third of challenges were more related to there is so much to do. We are struggling prioritizing what we need to do because it's a global crisis. So it was interesting to be able to get some kind of validation through this exercise as it just happened to be happening you know, at the same time as the crisis. I'm curious in your opinion too, because as you say, the style of being an adaptive leader was in play. It was moving towards that pre the most recent crisis. And certainly the crisis elevated the need that that really works and that's an effective way to lead. In your mind, do you think this shift where, you know, you highlight more empathy, more vulnerability, more transparency, really more communication, that humanness. Do you think that's going to stick and really keep moving when things sort of settle down a bit? Will some of it stick, all of it stick? What's your view? I think that's going to be the biggest challenge the organizations are going to face. It's going to be that ability to sustain that level of humanity that level of care, and somehow that whole notion of psychological safety that we have in organizations that emerging leaders need to embrace. And I think that you know, some organizations we can already observe, actually, as part of the move to you know, going back to the workplace, for example. For me, that's a good example of what's going to stick or not stick. You have a certain number of sectors which kind of are going back already to the eight to five, and I need to see you to see if you're really going to be productive. But I feel that most of the organization at least have the intent to be able to sustain that humanity, that level of psychological safety, and better understanding and adhering to their staff needs and voices. And again, it's going to be a very fine balance, but I think with all what we're hearing in terms of the future of work, the future of the workplace, the future of the workforce, the future of work, we have a unique opportunity. I think one of those opportunities which you know, happen every, I don't know, 20 years or so, or every decade. But this one is of a different scale. And for me, the notion of, you know, teleworking and hybrid working is one of those examples where you can start assessing if organizations are turning a corner and will be able to sustain. And, you know, I think it will give them a comparative advantage in terms of talent attractions, in terms of talent retention as well. So I think the intent is there for the vast majority of the organization, but it will require determination from the leadership. It will require some level of patience as well, because we don't have all the answers on how to sustain that effort. So it will require engagement with staff on a much more regular basis, you know, different ways to do that in terms of pulse surveys or focus groups, in terms of really understanding what those evolving needs are. What might you say to a leader who wants to sustain it? Maybe they came up through, you know, more of the command and control or a different style. And what about the skills, the capability, you know, learning new muscles to really move more towards being an adaptive leader? Any tips or thoughts on that? I think one way to look at it is 
accepting the fact that we don't have all the answers and accepting, I mean, almost like we are doing when we have customers, understanding the needs of our customers. And in this case, it's understanding the needs of our workforce and of our staff. And, you know, it's easy for me to say that, but I think there are some ways to actually get there. I'm a strong believer in terms of getting mentored by someone who maybe has a different leadership style than yours and who can help you navigate through some of those leadership changes or even going through proper coaching sessions to, you know, to support you with that leadership change in understanding your own vulnerabilities and what refrain you from being able to kind of let go. Because for me, that's part of the answer is to be able to let go and to not be into that command and control setup. And I know it's difficult. I mean, I've faced leaders even within our organization who were coming from environments which were command and control and who said, Patrick, I'm struggling. I'm struggling being in my dining room with my laptop and not being able to see my staff and see if they're working or not. So I think it's a process. It's really part of somehow also a usual change curve and getting advice from people who already have some of those leadership attributes or being supported by coaches to navigate through that change could be one element to explore. That's awesome. You know, in many ways, we said it a little earlier, the Global Fund is kind of a microcosm of diversity as well. Any insights? You know, we're all trying to advance and leapfrog where we are, having a culture that is really inclusive and truly enables one to feel like they belong and bring their best self and do their greatest work. But we're all not where we want to be on that journey. Any thoughts on you know, from what you've seen and experienced in your environment, ways to have greater impact or success here? That's a tough one, but it's one of the most amazing questions and the richest, you know, opportunity that organizations have. The key point there is creating a common purpose among those different people and creating a way for people to understand each other more. And what I mean by that is really trying to connect the diverse workforce that we have with the essence of who we are so that we connect with a common humanity. Because at the end of the day, I mean, I believe the world is one. We are all global citizens. And one way that we try to do this within the organization is to share personal stories. So for people who feel comfortable to share what they've experienced, what they've gone through as individuals, both personally and professionally, because it helps people connect and find a common ground. And some people who feel that they have, you know, they're coming from different worlds and they have nothing in common, sometimes suddenly realize that they have things in common. And it can take the form of struggles that they faced, you know, personally, or that they may be part of the same minority when we talk about diversity and inclusion as a whole. So I believe, you know, sharing personal stories and creating that safe space. I'm a very strong advocate and champion of creating psychologically safe environments. And I strongly believe that it's completely interlinked. You can create diversity and really leverage 
inclusion and diversity to its best once you've have the parameters in place to create a psychologically safe environment and that people feel that they can be who they are, they can be true to themselves, that they can feel that they can learn from the group, that they can feel that they can contribute to the work that needs to be done. And the last stage is that they can even challenge some of the assumptions that are being made about the work that they need to deliver. So sharing the personal stories on the one hand and creating the environment for this to happen then helps creating trust and understanding that actually beyond the diversity, we have lots in common. I love that. I mean, I've lived and seen the first two deeply, the purpose aligning everyone and how much really understanding each other helps those misunderstandings to really understand where someone may be coming from. Can you speak a little more on the psychological safety? Because that's still newer, let's say, in terms of full appreciation. And I've, I really have heard some say, well, I set the environment, but it's really also up for those within it to meet me halfway, if you will. And that it isn't just the leaders, leader can only go so far in it, but it's the responsibility for all of us. Would you agree with that? I would definitely agree. It doesn't mean that everything that is being said by someone in a group needs to be incorporated, taken into consideration, but it's creating really the space for people to express themselves. And if we decide actually not to go with their idea, just to explain why. I think that part of the problem around psychological safety sometimes, and you know, some people not feeling that they've been heard, is linked to the fact that we you know, leaders can just, they may have listened to that individual or that group of individuals. They may then make a different decision, but they are not closing the loop. And that loop closing is a very important component of psychological safety. But I agree. I mean, it's not only, you know, a question of the leader creating this environment. Every single person, part of a group has a shared responsibility to create the right environment. And I'm thinking, for example, about some of the microaggressions that can happen, even sometimes, you know, unintentionally by some staff members as they talk, as they interact, as they, you know, collaborate to deliver on activities and work on initiatives. So there is definitely a shared responsibility, but obviously there is a little bit more on the leader. Let's not leave it as a concept only. There are now great tools these days to be able to go back, survey, and, you know, track on a quarterly basis through Pulse Survey, how people are doing in terms of creating that environment. And it's not only a question of, you know, sacking people if they are not creating a psychologically safe environment, but it's really to guide them through some of the finer notions of how they can enable staff to be at their full selves and at their full productivity. I fully agree. And I love those points because even a leader could think, well, I really listen and I really take in all the voices, but then I just move on and make a decision and I didn't close the loop. And they might've thought they were doing it great and just didn't realize the impact of not signaling and really making sure people see their decision process and how it resulted and, and encourage that voice being shared again and again and again. Patrick, you've learned so much and you've navigated your own career so well, making a lot of pivots. I've known you to be very values-based. 
in how you decide, you know, where you'll bring your greatest self. Share with us some of the things you've learned as you've navigated your own career and made a few pivots. What might you share with us? One key thing that I've learned is be true to yourself. Never force yourself because of ambition or because of pressure from your environment, from your family, to compromise on who you are truly and find environments that corresponds to yourself because it's only when you're really yourself, really authentic, that you can give your full and that it resonates in an authentic way to others and that you can bring people along with you. So I think it's sometimes people say, yeah, you have to be true to yourself, but I really mean it. It's really know yourself really well. Don't compromise on you know parts of your identity. Find environments and leaders who want you as your full self. So I think, you know, for me, it has taken a while to really find who I were and to really ensure that there was a complete alignment between where I was going and what I wanted to bring and what counted for me and ensure that I found the right environment for that. And one of the key elements is obviously going back to your own values and defining what counts for you the most. And, you know, there is something, Mary, that guides me a little bit as part of my own journey, which, you know, sometimes people look at me and say, you're a bit crazy to think about that. But often I think about when I will be on my deathbed and I will reflect. I will reflect what was important for me, what have I contributed to, and what can I be proud of? of myself, you know, over the course of my life. And I keep going back and forth. And this guides me in terms of some of the choices that I need to make or I made during my career so far. So, you know, for me, sense of service is something which is extremely important. And it took me a while to really incorporate that notion of service into my career journey because I was you know, I was hearing more money, I was hearing, you know, big job titles. and But that varies from one person to another. Just find what are the values that count the most for you and find the appropriate environment. And another element for me which is really giving the best in terms of the soft skills. The notion of adaptability for me has also guided, you know, through my career journey, which is be curious, be curious about people, be curious about leaders, be curious about the people you want to work for or the people you don't want to work for, but at the same time, ensure that you are adaptable towards the work environments and the people you work with. Is there maybe one other bit of career advice, something that stayed with you throughout your career that you would like to share with us? So I would say just very quickly, I mean, there are three words that I reflect on on a regular basis. The first is dignity. So to ensure that when you make a career choice, you feel dignified, you feel that you have that notion of dignity in what you do. The second one is to ensure that whichever environment you decide to go to, that there is a sense of belonging, that you feel comfortable belonging to the group of people you're going to join. And third is 
legitimacy. When you have doubt about, you know, can I make that career move or not that career move, just reflect on everything you've built, both professionally and personally, which gives you the legitimacy to go to that and make that career move. So dignity, belonging, and legitimacy are three keywords that also, you know, I would give as a piece of advice for people just to reflect on as they make some career choices. That is really brilliant. Patrick, thank you so much. It is great to see you. It has been amazing to learn from you. Thanks a ton for all that you shared, all your experiences, your insights, and for inspiring us all on our own individual leadership journeys. Thank you a ton. It was a privilege, Mary. Thank you very much for your time. For more resources on this topic, visit us on modern-career.com and on social media at modern underscore career. We'll include all the sources noted in this episode in our show notes. Look forward to talking again very soon. Thank you.